Hello and welcome to the Land of Three podcast, a special playoff edition this week. This is Sam Carlson, your host, joined here in Chicago by Mark Gusich and in St. Louis by Travis Warinsky. How you guys doing? Doing good, Sammy. All right, good to join you boys last week. Good Mark, to have uh, you back, Mark. Yeah, it is. It's nice to have you back. Mark's got some Bailey's in his coffee. Uh, weekend edition of the podcast is not a not the easiest thing for him to handle right now. But uh, I had to take the traveler. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's get started with it. So obviously, we're uh, a few games into each series of the playoffs, starting with the Eastern Conference. Uh, I think Dylan's going to be a little upset he's not on this one because we're starting off with the. 8-1 matchup, and the Bulls have a 2-1 to lead over the Celtics right now. Most recently, we found out that Rajon Rondo has broken his thumb and will be out for the foreseeable future. At the very next game, without Rondo, the Bulls pretty much got run off the floor by the Celtics. I was at that game. It was not the most pleasant game to watch. But uh, I'll start with you, Travis. Do you think the Bulls have a chance of still taking this series, or do you think they're dead without Rondo? I don't think I've ever thought I would say Rondo – has been a big big piece to this Bulls team, but it seems like it has, um, especially over the past couple of weeks, getting in the playoffs and kind of helping control those first two games. It seemed like he was a, a pretty big piece to that. So, you know, without him, it kind of looks like the Bulls are coming back to coming back down to earth. And I, I just don't see them pulling this series out for whatever reason. I think Isaiah Thomas is going to bounce back and, um, I liked how Avery Bradley and Jake Crowder played the last game as well. So I think yeah, I just don't see the Bulls pulling this one out, unfortunately. Yeah, interesting lineup adjustment that um, that Brad Stevens made, Mark, where he had substituted into the starting lineup Gerald Green and he took out Amir Johnson to get a little faster, a little bit more shooting. I don't think there was any point in the game that Horford and Amir Johnson were on the floor together. So it seems like a concerted effort to uh, – from Brad Stevens to make sure that he's always at least got four to five three-point shooters on the floor at once. Do you think that is going to do the trick to take away from the advantage of Brooke Lopez rampaging down low and grabbing 10 offensive rebounds a game? Robin. Robin, I'm sorry. I always do that. <laughs> Pull the Hoiberg. Yeah, I mean, they had to do something. They needed a spark. They weren't making shots. They looked a lot better last week and uh, the other day. And when I mean, let's talk about this Bulls front office. They've traded for three point cards on this roster, and Rondo goes down, and they can't find anyone to fill in. They have three young point guards, and they may be lucky to get a career backup out of one of them. <laughs> That's true. There's not there's not a whole lot of talent there. And don't forget Isaiah Cannon is the last, the, the fourth point card. But, uh, but yeah, it's obviously shown that Rondo going down has been a huge deal. My contention is why do you even need to have one of those point guards out there? I felt like every play I saw Michael Carter-Williams involved in at the game, it seemed like, you know, he was not very good at basketball. So why not just run Jimmy at the point and, and throw some wings and bigs around him? I think it's very clear that Jerry and Grant should not be playing playoff basketball. So why even throw him on the court is beyond me. Keep him on the bench and let Jimmy just run the one or wait at that point. Just give those two the ball and leave Jerry and Grant and Michael Carter Williams on the bench. Look at Tony Snell in Milwaukee. That would have been a perfect guy to slide in and play with more wings. Would have been ideal. Is Michael Carter Williams the worst rookie of the year of all time? He would have been this year. Mark, let's not act like Tony Snow is going to 
was mate was doing some things that changed the bulls around. I've seen that story happen one too many times. <laughs> no, but I'm saying he had 19 the other night. He's got shooting 40 percent from three. I, I, yeah, I mean we watched the whole Tony Snow career. I, I know what you're saying, but I'm just saying the Bulls front office has made bad move after bad move, and it's showing. I'm actually glad that this has kind of flipped because my fear, if the Bulls, let's say they won that third, third game, went up 3-0, then Paxton and Foreman are going to be running around town thinking they did an excellent job. So I'm kind of glad this is going going terribly for them now. It's so interesting how much the playoff matters. Like, you know, a guy like Damian Lillard can go through a tear through like the last three regular seasons, but then like has like one or two bad playoff performances and everybody starts to write him off as like, oh man, you know, he can't come up in the clutch. He can't win a playoff series for his team, whatever else. But it's also the opposite. I mean, Rajon Rondo has played very, very little defense for an entire season. And then out of nowhere, he comes into the playoffs trying hard, which what a novel concept, trying hard in NBA. And he looks like a gosh darn all-star. And at this point, people I hear around Chicago saying, well, we need to bring Rondo back. I mean, this guy's just a big time, big game competitor. And, uh, you know, I think there is, there, I mean, he's played awesome. And I think there's a big component of he works his ass off to study film and you know, he played under Brad Stevens. So it seems like he knows a lot of what the Celtics are doing. And honestly, he's got four or five inches on Isaiah Thomas and he's got super long arms. So he should be the ideal defender to, to really give Isaiah Thomas trouble. But I don't think that as a franchise, the Bulls can see two awesome games from a 30-plus-year-old point guard that can't shoot and say, yeah, we need to bring this guy back. He's, he's got to be the future for us. And that's what, I that's what I've heard a lot of here in Chicago, which worries me quite a bit. I wouldn't put anything past them. Yeah, those exact, those exact comments scare me, and that's, that's what <laughs> I would like to avoid. So I almost want them to lose just to not hear that, that type of conversation again. But can we also talk about Isaiah Thomas and the fact that the Bulls refuse to post him up every time? It I, I just don't understand it. I don't get it either. Jerry and Grant did it one time. I'm sorry, Dwayne Wade did it one time, and he spun off Isaiah Thomas like Isaiah Thomas was not even in the play and laid yeah. the ball in. And then, and then I watched as, as Isaiah Thomas harassed Jerry and Grant at half court. I thought to myself, like any other game of basketball, Jerry and Grant would say, I'm 6'4", 200 pounds. Isaiah Thomas is 5'8", 180 pounds. Give me the ball down low. But it's like he just doesn't – I don't know why, but, yeah, it's, it's absolutely drives me crazy that they're not getting down low on that guy. Which is another reason I think it would be interesting if they ran with Jimmy and Wade basically handling the ball handling duties because then where do you hide him? You can't. It should be an open, it should be an open layup or an open three every single play because either – Horford or somebody else has to crash down to help down low on Isaiah's man, and you just kick it out, and Zipser nails an open three, or no one helps, and you get a layup every time. Or Robert gets, gets an offensive rebound every time, so that big has yeah. to come over. Like, it should just open everything up and make their offense flow so much easier, but they refuse to do it. I don't get it. Yeah. It, and I'm sure there's a lot of components that we're oversimplifying here. And there's different ways to work around what, what we're talking about as far as the Celtics are concerned. But, I mean, it's basic concept of basketball, mismatches, 
are what you attack. I mean, you see it every year in the playoffs. If a team sees that they have a mismatch at any given position, they go back to it and go back to it and go back to it and go back to it. If LeBron James gets a high screen and roll and they're continuously switching the center out onto him, they run that play 10 times in a row. So LeBron attacks the center 10 times in a row. It seems like the Bulls don't want to do that to Isaiah Thomas. It's pretty frustrating. But both you guys, both you guys are saying that the Celtics are probably going to be able to, to scrape, scrape out the win in the series. Yeah, I think it goes six. Celtics six. are six. Wow. So you yeah, think they're really going to go four, roll off four in a row? Ah, no, seven. You're right, seven. I'll say Celtics and seven. I think the Bulls get another game. I don't see the Bulls getting another one. This is over in six. Wow. I think the Bulls' best chance to, to – I mean, I think the Bulls are going to come out playing their asses off for, uh, for game, uh, game, what is it, four today? Because if they lose game four, the series – is likely over Celtics win. But obviously if they are able to pull some magic together and win game four, going back to Boston up 3-1, I mean, that's, that's a level of confidence that, uh, you know, might give them the ability to, 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 to win the series. So I think game four is the linchpin. I think whoever wins game four wins the series, in my opinion. But, Both uh, also haven't, haven't lost a game on TNT at home in what seems to be like forever. So they also have that going oh. Are they on TNT tonight? TNT Bulls. They are. Oh, boy. If Turner Sports brought out the entire playoff broadcasting rights, the Bulls would sweep their way to the finals. <laughs> it would be over. Kevin Durant injury or not. But, uh, yeah, let's jump over to the, uh, the Western Conference now. Um, as I touched on, Kevin Durant has been injured, got a calf strain, and he's missed the last two games um, last night. Portland was up for a lot of the game, but uh, Golden State in the third and fourth quarter really went on a rally and ended up taking the game pretty comfortably at the end, getting awesome minutes out of JaVale McGee, who might get paid this offseason, uh, and obviously now up 3 nothing. So I'll ask the question that might sound like a little bit of a crazy question, but Mark, I want you to answer it. Is there a chance that the Warriors are better without Kevin Durant? No. Just plain and simple no. It's plain and simple. I mean, they beat the Blazers by six points last night. It's not like they're running through this team without him. There's no way you could tell me having McCaw there over Durant is an upgrade. Yeah, I think McCaw had like 16-5-5 last night, Mark. He's a ball. 11-5-5. 11-5-5, five five. okay. Travis, is that pretty crazy talk to you as well? It sounds very crazy. It doesn't make any sense, but their offense – like Curry and Thompson just seem like they're more comfortable in the one, two role and they know what to do without Durant. So it's like, there's less pressure to keep involving Durant so much. So it makes their offense. I don't know if it flows better or not, but I think just from a level level of um, being more comfortable, it looks better. But when it comes down to the end of the game and they play the Spurs or the Rockets or whatever, the, in the conference finals and the finals, they're going to need Durant. So it, maybe against Portland, it, it looks better, but I don't, I don't see that trend continuing. Yeah, it's, it's those series where the, it gets slowed down at the end and it's not up and down like Portland series is um, that you, you, know, you feel like Durant would be a bigger factor. But I do think there is something to be said about just having Durant. Now, obviously, you're, you have one of the best players maybe of all time when you have Durant in your lineup. But like you said, Trev, it seems like, Curry and Thompson know that they're the offense when Durant isn't there and they just get going so much quicker every game. 
Uh, you know, not to say that they're having these monster games without Durant, but it just seems like the offense flows through, flows through them a little bit more. And I don't know, just those, those streaks that you saw them go on when they were, you know, 73 wins last year, seems like they flow a little bit better when Durant's not out there. Obviously having a seven foot shooting guard that can shoot from 27 feet is a, is never a bad thing to have on your team. So I agree that it's, it's a little bit crazy to say that they're better without Durant. Do you guys see the, uh, the Blazers having any chance to, uh, to take game four here and at least make it a five game series? Or do you think this is a sweep all the way? The series is toast. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a sweep. It's, it's pretty frustrating to see the Blazers kind of be in control for two games and just, they just can't figure it out in the fourth quarter, have enough to, enough to finish this Warriors team off. That's just how good the Warriors are. But watching David Lowen play and seeing McCollum play, it's, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun basketball to watch. I mean, I love watching Damian do his do his things out there and you know pull up from thirty five and try and go bucket for bucket with these Warriors players. But man, there's just too much on this Warriors team. It's like you watch, you quit watching the game for forty seconds. They could be up six, then the Warriors go on a seven zero run and three possessions, and you're like, oh, what the hell just happened? And it's it's frustrating to watch if you're a, if you're a Portland fan. Yeah, it's tough, and it seems like playoff games are so often dictated by the pace. Whichever team controls the pace more generally has a good shot of winning the game. I feel like that's what we've seen with the Bulls' first two games against the Celtics is they really played at the Bulls' pace. And uh, it seems like no matter how much the, the Trailblazers would prefer to slow this series down a little bit, they just can't. And, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to play a slow pace when you have shooters like McCollum Lillard but I think them pushing and jacking those threes, even when they're hitting them, plays into the Warriors' hands. Because at a certain point, the Warriors are going to go on a streak, and they're going to even that that whole you know shooting out because they've got the two best shooters maybe of all time. So until a, a team can figure out to slow down the pace on this uh, on this Warriors team a little bit, except for maybe Houston, I think they're going to win every series pretty easily. Now, they also did get Nurkic back last night, but wasn't able to really stay on the floor for extended minutes. Do you think if they would have had a healthy Nurkic all series, it would have been a little bit of a better series, or do you think that's not that big of a game changer? I think it would have helped a lot to have a guy with his skill set just to control the glass, provide some rim protection. I mean, JaVale McGee looks like a damn all-star out there without a big guy controlling him. So it definitely would help to have him out there and his ability to set screens and open these shooters up and, you know, hit them on some of those back cuts that we, you know, grew accustomed to the past 20 games when he was playing with them. But he just didn't look fully healthy out there last night. It was a night, it was good to see him, but it, I don't think it changed in the series. They might get one game there, but I don't see it affecting that much. Yeah. Now, actually, you brought up a good, up a good point, Trev. JaVale McGee. Guy has been a stud, and I think this guy has always had stud talent, but he hasn't necessarily had the uh, basketball IQ <laughs> to down. be able to capitalize on it. Slow down. That, that he's turned a corner? <laughs> I mean, no, he's wide open at the rim, throwing, up, throwing <laughs> lobs at the rim. He's not doing anything. Whoa, whoa, Mark. Regardless, the guy played 16 minutes last night, Six of eight from the floor, two of two from the free throw line, four boards, plus 24. Sam, Sam. 14 Sam, points. We, he's, we've 16 watched, minutes, he's plus 24. I've, 
I've watched this guy on a number of teams for a lot of years now. I'm not just going to go say he's figured it out because you put him on a team with four <laughs> all-stars. I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Against an eight but, with no big. But they're, they're, all right, how about this? This being a better question. Maybe not you feel McGee turning the corner and becoming some sort of a stud, but if you take the Warriors, or let's just say the Warriors win the championship at the end of all of this, if that's the case, Travis, do you think that JaVale McGee will be a pretty key player in them winning the championship, or do you think no? doesn't matter. I don't see him being a key player. Yeah, I mean, he's not doing this against the Cavs. The, not, the yet, not, not yet, but, <laughs> I mean, that, the vertical threat that Andrew Bogut provided for them was basically eliminated when they got Zaza Pachulia. Zaza, last night, 10, 10 minutes, not, minus 11. <laughs> Again, JaVale McGee, 16 minutes, plus 24. I think when you add a vertical lob threat to what they already have offensively, I think this guy, JaVale, should be getting 25 minutes a game. I mean, you, how can you, like you said, there's, there's, there's a reason that he's doing so well is because he's getting wide-open shots from his teammates. But as long as you have that weapon and you have to pick your poison, and your poison is between leaving Steph Curry or Clay Thompson open for a three or then being able to throw the ball to the rim and have JaVale McGee dunk it, like that's just an option you don't really have when Zaza Pachulia is out there. So why not, why not capitalize well, on that option? I agree with you in that he's providing value to this team. But if you're talking about me paying him after this year and another <laughs> roster, I'm not going to do it. Well, you we also have to think, let's look at Jadol McGee's career. He has a lot more lows than highs. And right now he's playing high. So eventually this is going to even out. And I think that's why the Warriors keep limiting his minutes, because if you start giving him 25, 30 minutes, you're going to see a lot more of these lows start happening. So get him in there for a few minutes, provide the spark that's necessary, and get him out. I don't think they can afford to have him out there for 25 minutes when he starts doing, you know, reverting back to Javel McKee of, you know, what we know of him. Well, and plus the, the better offenses they play, the more of his liability on defense is going to get exposed. Is he a liability on defense, though? He blocks shots. He's a big force at the rim. I mean, he blocks shots because he's huge and athletic. I don't know that he's anchoring a championship defense here. I, just, I feel like you guys don't think people can change. What if JaVale really got his head on straight this year? Have you seen his rat tail on the back of his head? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's true. Until he, until he can admit to just shaving that thing off, he's probably still the same old JaVale McGee. But... Uh, <laughs> But all right, I still, I honestly think at the end of the day, the Warriors are going to win the championship, and there will be a few games mixed in there, even in the, the conference finals and the finals, that that guy is a factor in the game, and he comes in for a you know ten minute stretch and has about five dunks, and you know at the end of the day when they're looking at okay who produced for this team outside of the stars, which it seems like they're always looking at in the conference finals and the finals, you know Jared Smith had a good game shooting threes. I think Jamal McGee's name is going to come up in multiple games and. Regardless if you think that can be reproduced on another team, I think people are going to look at that and say, worth giving this guy a contract. If they paid Joaquim Noah and Mozgov a combined $130 million, I think, I think JaVale and deserves won't argue a, you. a taste of that. But all right, well, obviously we think the Warriors are going to take this series pretty easily, so let's jump back over to the Eastern Conference, the 2-7 matchup. Uh, right now we've got Cleveland. Uh, dominating, you could say, in very close games, but still dominating the series over Indiana to a 3-0 lead. It does seem like Indiana has some chances. Uh, you could argue that if a shot drops and uh, 
and they hold on to the biggest playoff uh, lead to be lost in NBA history, that they're up 2-1 in this series. Do you think that Indiana is toast now, or do you think they've got a chance to pull out game four at home? I think Indiana is absolutely toast. I don't know how you come back from a game like that where you blow a huge lead. You had, what, 74 points in the first half? <laughs> had like a 26-point <laughs> lead and blew it in the yeah. third quarter. Um, yeah, I don't see how you, at home, I don't see how you come back from them. Um, I think we've got some, they've given us some interesting games, so I, that's good. But Cleveland's clearly the better team. I, I'll say, though, for Cleveland, like at some point we're going to have to see them play some more defense. We keep saying it's going to happen, but we still have yet to see it. And obviously against Indiana, that's not going to affect them and probably no one in the East, but they need to get that figured out by the final. Yeah. I mean, this do they, though? <laughs> I feel like their offense is so damn potent. They don't even have to worry about by the finals, Trev. He said, he said by the finals. He didn't say before the finals. So Mark, no, no. I think yeah. I'm not worried about the finals without defense. I mean, you look at Toronto, you look at Washington, and you look at Boston, who would be Cleveland's three biggest threats. Neither one of them has looked great. But I don't think Cleveland's got to worry. They've got plenty of time to figure it out. And I'm not saying that they won't. I'm, I'm going to side on LeBron's side until I, he lets me down, which he never has. So for now, I'm going to say though they will figure it out. But every round this goes by, like we're still not seeing a, a flip switched. I mean, 74 points yeah, to Pacers and a half is bad news. That's bad, yeah. <laughs> They're not a great offensive team. 74 points is basically three quarters of basketball on one half <laughs> for them. But, uh, well, what do you, so, I mean, here's, here's what I look at. I just think the point of attack on defense is so important. If Kyrie Irving tries on defense, I know it's more than just Kyrie. Everybody's got to tune it up a little bit. But I think Tristan Thompson, while he's not a great shot blocker, rim protector, he's a pretty good defender. For a five, he can switch out on the guys, can move his feet pretty well, hedge high. Love, again, a little bit limited in what he can do defensively, but he generally is a pretty good team concept defender. He's usually in the right spot. He's usually making a little bit of a difference. Obviously, if LeBron turns on defense, he's probably one of the best defenders we've ever seen. J.R. Smith, we saw try last year in the finals, and we've seen he could produce some pretty good wing defense. I mean, he did not make uh, Clay Thompson's life easy last year in the finals. So I honestly think it comes down to if Kyrie Irving comes out and actually says, I'm going to try on defense, then immediately that team can be good defensively. But if Kyrie Irving continues to just say defense, who cares about it, and only plays the offensive side of the court, then they're going to struggle very much. And you know, Obviously, Kyrie hit some huge shots in last year's finals, but if you remember, throughout the playoffs, end of the regular season playoffs, there was a lot of discourse in, man, we need to, they need to move Kyrie Irving for like an Eric Bledsoe type or something like that because whenever this guy's on the floor, you, can't, you just can't win with him because he doesn't play enough defense. So I still think he's going to be the linchpin if he starts caring or not. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it all, ultimately it all starts with LeBron. When LeBron tells the team to turn it on, you feel like they're going to turn it on. But – when teams do that, you, you get kind of get caught sometimes where you try to turn it on and it's just not there because those habits that you've tried to form over across the regular season, you, you know, maybe you've created some bad habits by not trying. So it, it might take them a little longer to get to that process. So I think in the next series or, or in the conference finals, at least you'll really see the defense start to ratchet up just to start to get ready and, you know, get rid of some of those bad habits they've probably created over the, regular season and, and stuff like that. But 
Can we also talk about how incredible that fourth quarter comeback was without Love and Kyrie even on the floor? I mean, that bench that they've that they've created around LeBron is pretty potent. That yeah, I mean, I think it, that comeback started in the third quarter, and if LeBron is shooting the same percentage from three as he has the free throw line, then uh, <laughs> teams teams are going to be a little bit in trouble there. I mean, he was making some difficult step back threes, and those are the shots throughout LeBron's career where the defense has essentially said. If you can make that shot, you're going to beat us every time. And he made that shot, so there's not really much the other team can do. But I will agree with you, the contrast, Trav, with the team that uh, they've built around LeBron in Cleveland as compared to, like, the team that Russ Westbrook is working with shooting-wise. It's almost like an embarrassment of riches, riches that you can surround LeBron with that many elite three-point shooters uh, no matter what lineup he's in. Even when Kyrie and Love are off the floor, you've still got – J.R. Smith, Kyle Korver, uh, Darren Williams coming off the bench. It's just like Channing Frye is one of the best three-point shooting big men we've ever seen in maybe the history of the NBA. So, I mean, you've got to give it to, to Griffin. He built the perfect roster. To, uh, he to did not say this. Here. If LeBron's shooting like that from three all playoff, it doesn't matter what defense Cleveland plays. I mean, that was incredible. I don't know. I, I still argue with that against Golden State, man. We're talking about potentially the most talented team ever assembled. I know, but if Le- if LeBron's hitting thirty footers consistently, what are you going to do? Have Steph Curry thirty footers consistently? Yeah, but it's a different game when LeBron starts making those because it just opens everything up for everyone else. Because there's literally no way to guard him now. At least you can run Curry off the line and maybe force him to like drive or something. And I'm putting caught. LeBron at the free throw line twenty times. Tonight. I agree. <laughs> I, I can't that. make a free throw. No, it's weird. Yeah. I don't understand. But he doesn't look he comfortable can... up there either. It's like they're just—he he looks like uneasy. Like I would just try and hammer him at the line. For the He's record, when when LeBron made those threes in the third quarter, Indiana's defense—it was good defense, but it was so flawed stylistically. They were literally letting Kevin Serafin switch on to LeBron James. Kevin Serafin, who looks like he's out of shape for an NBA player, you know, 6'9", 6'10", 285 pounds, trying to switch on LeBron James. Like, I mean, I don't know what you can do, but you've got to get Paul George back to cover LeBron James again. You just can't let LeBron dance on Kevin Serafin and step back for a wide-open three three times in a row. Uh, but, I mean, that, I mean you, it's kind of pick your poison because then if you say, all right, well, Paul George, you've got to go trap that with Serafin, then – LeBron isn't obviously one of the better passers in the NBA. He can just pick out which shooter he wants to take the three. So, can we jump to Paul I, George for a second? Yeah, I'd love to talk to Paul George. What, I just feel like once that comeback started happening, I mean, he had Shumpert on him, and Shumpert was doing a good job, but there just looked like there was no aggressiveness out of Paul George. He wasn't coming to the ball. When he'd get it, he'd give it up. He was settling for threes. He was complaining to the refs. It just looked like he had nothing there. If you if he's a $200 million player and you're at home down 2-0, LeBron's making this huge comeback, you got to show me something. Yeah. It's kind of like the perfect example of kind of him as a player is take what the defense gives you, which is a decent concept unless what the defense is giving you is difficult shots. You're right. I mean, he never at any point throughout that whole comeback said, I'm just going to get to the rim and either get to the free throw line or get a dunk. He settled for a lot of Nasty looking step back jumpers, you know, fadeaway threes, things of that sort. So, but uh, 
what do you think about Mark Paul George's comments? A lot of people have seen him as sort of ragging on his team a little bit. I don't know that he was. I think he was just trying to get them fired up. I, I, don't, I didn't really take it the wrong way. I mean, I, I guess I don't know. I, but I don't know how you make all those comments and then come out and basically just watch that comeback happen. I mean, it, and every time he did take a step back shot, it was instantly looking to the refs with his hands up. And now that game did go chippy and there were some calls that could have went either way. But at the end of the day, you got to do something. I mean, you're not a number one option if that is what you're going to give me. And I know we've seen Paul George be great. I'm not basing this all off one game. It was just really disappointing to see him. And I kind of feel like that game was the perfect out for him to get out of Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I I think it's, I think it's pretty clear that he's looking for that out right now. And it just, his body language looks terrible and he does not look like he wants to be in Indiana anymore. So I think he's setting himself up here for a, a nice exit away from the Pacers. Wow, I feel like you guys are being pretty hard on Paul George. That guy's had some monster games through three games of the series so far. And while I agree, he was very complacent with uh, not doing it much when that comeback was happening. I mean, when you look at these box scores, the only reason that they had that massive lead in the first place was because he was hitting every shot he put up. And I agree with the comments, Mark. I don't think he, I mean, I think he's saying stuff to fire his teammates up. And I think the media has really blown it out of proportion um, you know, with with the quotes that they've put, you know, on front headline articles about what he's been saying, I think he's been, you know, somewhat positive, just saying, you know, we need to tweak this here and tweak this there, and we've got a chance in the series. But uh, I think I think you guys are being a little hard on the guy. I mean, he's obviously got less talent on his roster, and he's brought them pretty damn close to winning two out of the three games they've played so far. I, no, I agree. Yeah, I we've seen him I battle LeBron. I just. I, you have Iman Shumpert on you. I want you to go at him. If I give, if I'm the Pacers and I get beat by that game on my home floor and that comeback happened and Paul George went down shooting, I, I live with it. But the fact that he was just so non-aggressive kind of bothered me. And, I mean, it, and if he was on another team, maybe, but your, your second option, like Teague was, was doing nothing. I'm watching Lance Stevenson. They're, they're sitting five feet off of him at the three point line. Like it was just hard <laughs> to watch. Yeah, having Sarah been trying to post up Fry with no success. But isn't that remember- in Paul George's favor? Is you know, like obviously LeBron has been unbelievable in this playoffs so far. But LeBron has the option to occasionally say, "Here, Kyrie, go do something on offense." And Paul George just does not have that. Like, I just feel like if Paul George was in a different scenario, like let's say he did get traded to the Celtics, like if he was having the games that he's been having so far. A lot of that offense, you know, in stretches like that, could be controlled by a guard like Isaiah Thomas, and the 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 discourse we'd be having about Paul George's holy cow, how amazing has he been in these playoffs so far? But because he has to do it all for his team, while I agree he does need to be more aggressive, it just really puts him in a tough situation where he can never just give the ball up and, and let somebody else create something for them. Yeah, so I'm, do you remember when LeBron? left Cleveland, like that last series they lost to the Celtics, whatever. Like he was putting up amazing numbers and it just like had that look like I'm tired of doing this by myself. Like I need help. Yep. I can't continue to do this as great as Paul George has been in the series. He's, he's looked every, he's looked a part of a superstar and a top 10 player and this elite, elite player, but you just get the sense like he's just incredibly frustrated with the Pacers and trying to do this for the past four or five years by himself without another really high level player with him. So I think that's where these comments are starting to come from. He's setting himself up for 
that kind of LeBron exit out of Cleveland like he did. So I, that's where I'm basing it off of. I think he's played amazing, and he's done everything that he possibly can to do to you know win a few games in this series, but he just doesn't have the help, and that's got to be yeah. incredibly frustrating for him. Yeah, and that's that's exactly the point I was, I'm trying to make, Travis. You like you said with what the situation LeBron was in. I mean, I feel like because Paul George is so damn good, we put him on that higher level where we're judging him a little bit more critically. Whereas, like you look at the series, and he's almost gotten them two games, Mark, with LeBron being maybe the best player in the history of the NBA, and LeBron's supporting cast, or at least second and third players are far better than what Paul George is working with. So shouldn't we take a step back and look at it and say, wow, it's pretty amazing that Paul George has even kept him in these games in the first place? Yeah, you know, I agree with everything you guys are saying. And maybe I sounded a little overly critical. It was just a little disappointing for me to watch. But no, I, I, obviously he's got nothing else there. That roster makes me want to throw up. They have no business being, <laughs> not, not that they're in the series down 3-0, but they've had no business being in all these games. So yeah, I, I'm not, this is not just a full rip on Paul George. I mean, maybe it's less about Paul George and me wanting to see someone just force Iman off the court. Maybe that's it. Yeah, probably it. But, uh, but yeah, nonetheless, obviously we see it as being a, a Cleveland potential sweep coming here today. Uh, so let's jump on to the, uh, to the two seven series in the West where we've got an evened up series after a pretty exciting game last night, a lot of back and forth, Kawhi Leonard going off, Mike Conley going off and, Finally capped with a uh, Mark Gasol running jump shot for the win. We've got a, We've got an evened up series, guys. It's something where I self-admit that I said I think it's going to be four or five when we were uh, initially potting about the playoffs. This Memphis team, they've got a lot more fighting them than I expected. Travi, do you see? Uh, do you see any chance here that Memphis could pull off the upset? I don't see them pull this off, upset off. I didn't see them winning two games. I guess we underestimated how great the grindhouse is in, in Memphis down there. But those shots, Conley, those runners with his right hand were incredible. Then the Kawhi Leonard fadeaway shots he was making were unbelievable. And how Marcus all made that shot was, I'm, I'm still confused how they, how they keep winning these games. But I, I just don't see them having a chance when they go back to San Antonio. Mark, what's your, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, I think... Again, credit to David Fisdale. I mean, the wings this team is throwing out is kind of <laughs> crazy. Um, and But, again, I, I kind of had this feeling about the Spurs in the back of my mind all season. Like, you watch Kawhi, he's un- unbelievable. You look at the rest of the roster, and you just don't know how scary it really is. But you kind of give Pop the benefit of the doubt, and I think we're seeing some of that here. I mean, I'm looking at the box score. I mean, Kawhi at 43, Tony Parker had a good game, but after that, it's got to be a little concerning offensively here. Yeah, and honestly, if there's been one series where my perception has flipped, you know, uh, more than any other, there's a good number of them out there, obviously, with the, uh, the Bulls getting off to a hot start. Uh, Toronto is obviously getting all they can handle from Milwaukee, but when I'm watching this series between Memphis and San Antonio, and at least these last two games, I, Memphis looks like the better team to me. And obviously San Antonio has the best player. Kawhi Leonard is an absolute monster. But when they have lineups without that guy on the floor, it just looks like they cannot create any form of offense whatsoever. Like your point guard situation, you're relying on, you know, Patty Mills a lot of times can be a focal point of an offensive set. 
trying to get a six-foot point guard who's a good shooter open threes as your primary source of offense is never going to be that effective in the playoffs. And then you, you sub back in Tony Parker, and it's like, okay, if you're down 10 with Tony Parker, the guy's not going to shoot you back into a game. It's really all relying on Kawhi Leonard. And if you look at the numbers last night, I mean, Kawhi was an absolute monster, played 44 minutes. I think in his 44 minutes, which, mind you, it was overtime, so it wasn't just a 48-minute game. It was a 53-minute game. But in the 44 minutes that Kawhi Leonard played last night, he was a plus 18. So when he wasn't on the floor for what? There's four minutes of regulation and five minutes of overtime that he wasn't on the floor. So when he wasn't on the floor for nine minutes last night, they were minus 20. I mean, I don't think you can. The Kawhi Leonard is unbelievable, and he's amazing. But I honestly am starting to tip the scale towards Memphis in this series. I, I just don't think you can rely on one guy to do that much for you and expect to win a playoff series against a team that largely looks like they're playing pretty good basketball and getting coached up pretty well. So I, I honestly think it's maybe 51-49 that Memphis takes this, this first-round series. Is that crazy? Whoa. I don't it think is. it's considering great. I think it's crazy considering the Grizzlies are playing James Ennis, a 40-year-old <laughs> Vince Carter, Andrew Harrison, Troy Daniels, and Wayne Sullivan significant minutes. Uh, those guys, four of those players shouldn't even be playing in the NBA, let alone on a <laughs> 2-2 series against the Spurs. Get Blow Harrison my mind out of the keep winning these games. Oh, my gosh. Well, and this, is why, Harrison. this is why I picked Kawhi for MVP. I just thought that roster was thin all year and that he was asked to do so much offensively. I mean, you got to look at a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge. I mean, he has had some okay games here, but he's got to be – a lot more aggressive and assertive on the mm-hmm. offensive end. But you got to stagger their minutes some more because you can't just get killed with Kawhi off the court. It's yeah, not going to get you very far. The impact that Aldridge is making on the series, and you, you might, you guys might have just brought up why why I would give the benefit to Memphis is Lamarcus Aldridge. I, I honestly, watching this series so far, would rather have Mark. I mean, I'm not Marcus Gasol, uh, Zach Randolph on my roster that I would, but Marcus Aldridge right now. That's saying a lot because I really like Aldridge's game. But last night, 42 minutes, the guy came up with two rebounds and one assist. You know, he was 13.6 of 11 from the field, but that's what you're always going to at least minimum get from him offensively. But if you're, I mean, and he's playing a lot of minutes at the center, guys. I mean, he was the guy that was guarding Marcus Gasol when he made that impossible shot at the end. So if he's playing a lot of center minutes and he's only giving you two boards, and one assist on the entire night, where Zach Randolph is playing less minutes, seven less minutes, and gives you 11 rebounds. I think beyond Kawhi, the best three players in the series are on Memphis. Yeah, it's disappointing to see LaMarcus Aldridge. What, I don't, you play 42 minutes and you get, get 11 shots up. Demand the damn ball if you're that good and you think you're that good. What, there's no other way around it. Just demand the ball and... Be more active. I don't get how you can get two rebounds in 42 minutes at seven feet tall. It makes zero sense to me. They're just not yeah. getting enough out of him, and that's where the issue lies. If he's gonna, if they're gonna win this series and the next series and have a chance against Golden State, he better be a lot more assertive, or they're not going anywhere. Yeah. Now you also, you also have to look at, at some of the supporting cast for the Spurs because again, I mean, last night you've got old Monte Ginobili going 0 for five from the field, 0 for four from three. You've got Danny Green playing 26 minutes, going two from nine from the field, and 0 for six from three. I mean, we've seen Danny Green, along with Gary Neal, swing a series in the finals. It doesn't seem like this guy can have any impact whatsoever 
on the series. And, and honestly, that might be another reason why I think I'm giving Memphis more breathing room because you can throw a guy out there like Troy Daniels who has no chance in hell of guarding a good NBA wing player. But if Danny Green isn't making anything happen on offense, then you can largely hide Troy Daniels out there. So you can play him for 15 to 20 minutes a night, let him come in and can a few threes, and really not give you anything negative on the other side of the floor if Danny Green's not doing anything. So I think that's another reason that, uh, that I favor Memphis now. They're just getting, as much as that's not a very pretty picture with their wing play, they're getting a lot more production from Vince Carter, James Ennis, and those guys than, uh, than the Spurs are from getting from beyond, uh, beyond Kawhi on the wings. Yeah, that's a good point. But you also have to remember these, that these role players are playing at home in Memphis. Be nice. We'll see how they play once they go back to San Antonio and lose that home crowd. But, yeah, it doesn't look great for the Spurs right now. Yeah, yeah I think true. that home Grind- crowd is huge for them. Grindhouse. No grindfather in the series either. Uh, I forgot the flow going. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but, but I think, you know what, we, we really need to take a step back from this series. And I remember earlier in the year we were potting a little bit about the Minnesota Timberwolves and the fact that Thibodeau was throwing out Brandon Rush for 38 minutes a game after not playing hardly anything. I think Brandon Rush was still in diapers when Vince Carter was, was getting his start in, in Toronto. This guy last night comes in, plays 35, 33 minutes, and cans five of nine from the field, three of five from three. I mean, this guy's 40 years old, guys. Is it crazy that he's still producing like this in a series against Kawhi Leonard and the Spurs? It's extremely it's defying. It's defying everything that that he should be doing. Right, he shouldn't be sitting in ESPN analyzing these games, not playing. It's insane. I mean, I feel like somebody's got to go out there and sign T Mac next year. <laughs> oh God, I love that. <laughs> but and you got to give credit to David Fisdale as well. You know, he went on that rant that made largely very little sense uh, as far as the quotes <laughs> that he used and. Um, and they created T-shirts out of it, and they came back and they played their asses off. And it's an even series. You know, I thought at that point that rant was sort of signaling the end, waving the white flag, but that's obviously not what he was doing because his team has come back and battled, and it's looking pretty good for him right now. So um, any other thoughts on that series before we move on, boys? No, I think the Spurs take it. Like we said, the home court for Memphis was big, but it's not a good sign, and a lot of this is why – I voted for Kawhi for MVP. I just never felt like this roster really scared anyone. Yeah. Kawhi's not going to give you a 43, 7 for 10 from 3 every game, Mark. Relying on him quite a bit right now. I love Kawhi. He's very good. Let's move on to the uh, back to the Eastern Conference. Let's jump to the 3-6 series, a series I touched on a little bit already. Toronto fought pretty hard to get that 3 seed. Uh, facing off against Milwaukee in the first round. It seemed like Milwaukee coming in a team with not a lot of experience winning in the playoffs um, or really even being in the playoffs. Uh, It seemed like it would be something where, you know, they'd probably put up a good fight, but Toronto would roll in five or six in the series. But it's now 2-2. It seems like Toronto cannot get anything going offensively. And it seems like Giannis is the best player on the uh, the floor out there. Trav, who, who do you favor the last three games of the series. Oh, God. I still got to lean Toronto, I guess, just because the Rosen might have two out of three good games and carry them. 
But the Bucks with Giannis, they're all all him or nothing. If he's not playing out of his mind, they're not going to win win a game. And to have two out of those three games, you know, it's it's reasonable. But to do it without home court, I think it's going to that's going to pose some issues for them. I still like Toronto in this series, but God, Lowry and Rosen are just they are not good in the playoffs. And I don't know how you can even max Lowry after his continued struggles in in the playoffs. Yeah, it's tough. It doesn't seem like he can carry a, carry a team in a series. Now, another another interesting note about the Game 4 win that uh, Toronto just had, Mark, is that similar to what Boston did, summing out uh, Amir Johnson for a shooter in the starting lineup, uh, Toronto did essentially the same thing. They moved Serge Ibaka to the five. They brought Jonas Valanciunas off the bench. They moved Norman Powell into 33 or 34 minutes uh, at the wing, going three of three from three. They didn't obviously have a big offensive effort here with 87 points, but do you think that's a, a move that really needed to be made to, uh, to create some more offense, some more shooting for this Toronto team? Yeah, I do. Be, uh, going into the series, like Valanciunas has always been a question mark in terms of where he can play, where he can stay on the floor in terms of defense in the playoffs. And I thought this was a series with Don Maker on him that he would actually be able to stay on the floor, make a lot of noise, and he really hasn't given you anything. Yeah, I mean, he's and, put together some solid games, but like, he just doesn't look comfortable out there. He doesn't look like he's getting his offense. I, I like, and I love Norman Powell. Yeah, it didn't really make sense to me that Powell wasn't getting goes from getting zero minutes in the series to getting thirty three. Feels like there could be a some somewhat of a middle ground there, but uh, I think they're, they're basically saying Aguirre and Pertle, Pertle, however you say his name, aren't going to see the floor anymore because. Split in the 48 center minutes this last game. Abaco with 26, Valanciunas with 22. That's your 48. So it looks like those guys, I mean, Dwayne Casey's pretty reserved to only having one of those true bigs out on the floor at a time that they're not, you know, even though they've started together quite a bit throughout the, uh, the home stretch of the year, he's at the point where he's not even going to put them together on the floor at all. You think that's a good move, Trev? I think he can throw whatever line up he wants, start pal at the five. It doesn't matter. Like it all comes back to Lauer and DeRozan. If they play good, they're going to win these games because they they should be the best two best players on the floor. But they're not and they're not consistently making shots or creating for others. So whoever you want to put out there, it doesn't really matter in my mind unless those two are playing at a high level. And it other than that, it, I don't think it really matters. Yeah. I think that's the biggest takeaway we can have from the series. I think, you know, if those two guys don't get it going, and I, mind you, they are playing against pretty good defensive wings and point guards with Brogdon and uh, Middleton and Snell. But, yeah, if those guys don't get it going, I think uh, Cleveland is looking at this series right now pretty damn happy. So that's the takeaway from Toronto. I think the only other takeaway I have from this series is, God damn it, it's just a pleasure to watch Giannis uh, play <laughs> basketball. I mean, God, I wish we could get – 50 more games of this. I mean, they played so little on national TV. Just the size, the dexterity, the ball handling, the vision, the strides that he takes. It's, I, I mean, I think he's vaulted into the number one most fun player to watch in the NBA for me. He's got a beautiful game. But Jesus Christ, get him off NBA TV so everyone can watch this guy play. It's, like right. it's coming out party, and they keep throwing him on NBA TV. Put him on TNT yeah. or ESPN, please. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump back over to the West. We've got the uh, the 3-6 matchup in the West, the matchup of potential MVPs, Harden and Westbrook 
Thunder against the uh, Rockets. Spent some close games down the stretch here. Harden really rallied the Rockets to win game two after an unbelievable three quarters from Westbrook. But Westbrook came right back at home and he's made it a two one series. We got game four tonight, Mark. I know uh, I know you like Westbrook. Is this something where you think he can uh, he can even up the series and we could be going back to Houston two two? I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I wouldn't rule anything out with this guy, uh, but it's the lineups they're running out, they're hard to watch. I mean, I, I just can't watch, like, Jerry. I mean, Jeremy Grant. Yeah. But, no, I mean, just running these lineups out with Grant. And why does Taj Gibson not play more? I'm a little confused by the whole Taj thing. Hey, he got, he got on the floor 29 minutes. He put up 20 points this last game, 10 for 13 from the field. So I think that there's a little course correction from Donovan there. But, uh, but yeah, you think he needs to be on the floor more. Yeah, and I just I, I haven't been impressed with some of the lineups Donovan's been running out. I, I think he's got to take some of the blame here for their struggles. i got to give Westbrook a lot of credit for this Game 3 win that they had, though. I mean, again, he put up his, you know, his 32 points on 24 shots and got his triple-double. You know, he got his, but... I think he did a little bit of a better job getting more of his, from his teammates. You know, obviously he hardly got anything from his teammates in that game too, you know, where he scored 51. But, uh, I mean, you look at it and Harden drops 44, six and six on efficient shooting. Westbrook drops 32, 13 and 11 on a little bit less efficient shooting, but still pretty efficient. You've got to give, uh, you got to give the supporting cast some credit here, boys. I mean, they won by two with Westbrook being outscored by 12. So that means the supporting cast for the Thunder outscored the supporting cast for the Rockets by 14. The, you guys have said a lot that there's just way more talent on this Houston team. And I agree with that. But don't you guys think that if Westbrook just makes those slight tweaks and gets his teammates involved a little bit more, travel through this at you, that, uh, that they've got a chance here? Well, they have a chance, but it comes down, again, to these guys making shots. It's not like Westbrook hasn't tried to get them involved in games one and two. It's just they weren't making shots, so he had to he had to take over those games. And I'd much rather have Russell Westbrook pull up from 17 than, you know, dishing it off to Victor Oladipo or Roberson in the corner. It's At a certain point, when these guys do make those shots, yeah, it opens it up and it makes Westbrook look like a much better player because they're making those open shots, but he has to do so much by himself in those fourth quarters. Like it's almost emotionally draining him. And I think that's, that's affecting his game, but I don't know. Steven Adams going two of five with six rebounds and four points and no blocks. What happened to the Steven Adams of last year? Is this Westbrook or is this Steven Adams just regressing? I mean, I think everybody jumped out to a wild conclusion by saying Steven Adams was one of the best centers in the NBA last year because he had a good playoff series. Again, everything that happens in the playoffs, I think is a little overblown, but uh, I think it's a mix of Steven Adams making more happen, being as huge as he is, you know, he's got to get that Robin Lopez mentality and just get offensive rebounds, crush people in the paint. But uh, I also think it is Westbrook. I mean, Steven Adams feasts a lot off of those little drop-off passes. And if you actually watch the Thunder play, he's got a pretty good touch around the rim. It's not like all he can do is make layups and dunks. He's got a nice little you know, post hook. He's got a nice little runner, a little floater shot that he can make. So I really do think it's a little bit about Westbrook putting him in that good position. But, I mean, it is also about just him saying, I need to have a bigger impact on the game. But Yeah, um, I think 
I think we saw Adams play a lot better last year. The floor was opened up so much more with Ibaka and Durant out there. It's so closed up now. He's not a guy that gets offense going for himself. And when the, the defense is so focused on Westbrook and there's zero spacing on the floor, I don't, I mean, offensive rebounding is really going to be his only way to really get involved, in my opinion. And yeah. one more note, like how disappointing is Oladipo been? He hasn't Awful. been good, but. But let's get back to what Trav was talking about. And this is where I think Westbrook has a chance to really just sort of, again, tweak and alter the way he plays in the series a little bit and just go down on his teammates. I mean, I love the Westbrook press conferences. If you guys saw after last game, they talked to him a little bit about more, the more production he got from his supporting cast and how much more his supporting cast is going to need to contribute for them to have a chance in the series. And he immediately fired back at the reporters and says, I don't have a supporting cast. We're all one team. And I love to hear that. But, I mean, that guy's got to, the guy's got to play that way as well. I mean, if your guys are missing threes and that's why you lose the game, if you're getting them wide-open looks and they're NBA players, you look at the shooting for the Rockets from three. Ryan Anderson, two from seven. Trevor Ariza, 0 for four. Patrick Beverly, 0 for three. Eric Gordon, one for five. They got a little spark out of Lou Williams, three for four from three. But then you jump over to the Thunder, and they really had some quality three-point shooting outside of Westbrook giving them chances. We had Roberson which is maybe a little of an enigma, went two from three from three. Oladipo made two of three from three. They got McDermott out on the floor, and he went two of four from three. They got Abrinas out on the floor, and he went two of five from three. And then in the only minutes that Westbrook wasn't on the floor, at the point Norris Cole came in and went one of two from three. So at the end of the day, I think, Trav, you're 100% right. It comes down to can those guys make shots. I think, A, the tweak of Billy Donovan getting Abrinas and McDermott out there on the floor is nice, but Westbrook's got to just keep giving those guys chances. You know, if, if Oladipo goes 0 for 9 from 3, but Westbrook gets him his 9 open 3s, you can't blame Westbrook. Then you can start to blame his teammates. But when Westbrook sees a few not going for Oladipo and he decides he's got to do it by himself, that's when you have to start heaping a little bit more of the blame on his shoulders. That's my take. All right, we're n- jumping back over to the Eastern Conference, the 4-5 matchup. Wizards in Atlanta. Wizards looked thoroughly like the better team through two, but Atlanta came out with some sparks yesterday and took a pretty comfortable win to make the series 2-1. Just right back over to you, Mark. Do you think Atlanta has a chance of even in this at 2-2 going back to Washington? Yeah, I think they definitely have a chance. It's just you never know what Atlanta team you're going to get. I mean, we've seen them be terrible. We've seen them be great. Uh, they just they won't seem to go away. I said this a bunch. I don't enjoy the Hawks. I don't enjoy talking about the Hawks. I would love for the Wizards to wrap this up, but it shows you the holes the Wizards have at the same time. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I like watching this uh, nice little backcourt the Hawks are making with Torian Prince, Schroeder, and Hardaway Jr. Though they seem to have a little bit of promise going forward, and I think they've hopefully found a, a little core they can build around. Obviously, there's not a some elite talent they, they still have to bring in to become a, a true competitor. But I, I do like, I do like inserting Prince into this lineup. It gives him a little bit more length on the, on the wing and he seems to be, you know, aggressive and he's making some outside shots. So I like that adjustment that the Hawks made. Yeah, I could see, I could see Tori and Prince doing a somewhat of a tomorrow, Demari Carroll thing next year, maybe a little bit more of what Otto Porter did this year. I think he's got a nice form on his shot. And he's going to get so many open threes that he could become a really nice three and D wing. But it's just the, the timeline of what they're building, Trav. I mean, your, your front court of Millsap, who's you know, into his 30s now, and obviously Dwight, who's pretty old as well. 
obviously that's not going to fit with the timeline of, you know, Schroeder, Hardaway, and Prince all being in their young 20s. Um, I, I should be more excited about being able to see this Washington team play, but I have to agree with Mark. You know, whenever I see, you know, that that game is on the slate for the day, I know that's what I'm going to make sure I'm doing most of my, uh, you know, most of my running out of the house and household work for the day because there's just not a lot to – that interests me. And, you know, Dwight Howard coming back home to Atlanta, I thought it would have been a nice story if that guy came out just playing like a man possessed. But you can just tell. I mean, that guy, I'm never going to say his career is over because he gave you, what, 14 and 12 this year, and he blocked shots occasionally. But, God, that guy was so damn good. And now it looks like he's, he's getting outplayed by, Mar- by Marcin Cortat. They're better with Mike Muscala on the floor right now, and that just – What's happening to centers in this in this league, guys, is, is a punch to the gut because it seems like you can't keep a true big on the floor anymore. Yeah, I would I wouldn't want to have Dwight Howard on my team at this point in his career. But it is fun to watch John Wall and Bradley Beal do their thing when they get going. I mean, John Wall's playing with so much damn energy, especially in Washington when he got that home court buzzing. It was that was pretty electric to see and I don't know. I think they pose a pretty big threat, the biggest threat right now to Cleveland, the way they've been playing. Definitely would not argue with that. I think LeBron has to be sitting back and, and, and smiling, though, that to see that uh, Atlanta is, is making this a physical series. They just took the third game. I, used, I don't know if you guys saw Paul Millsap and, uh, and Markeith Morris. Markeith Morris had a, cry, <laughs> or a crybaby comment about Paul Millsap. It doesn't seem like Millsap took too kind, too. So, you know, I think I think that Atlanta has the goods with Millsap and these guys to just make this series a little bit more of a knockdown, drag-it-out series for Washington, whereas through two games it looked like Washington was really just going to roll. But, you know, it's that, it's that old adage, you know, it's a stupid adage, but they say the series doesn't start until you know, the home team loses a game. And if Atlanta can come out and get game four, you know, it's, it's pretty similar to what's going on with Memphis and San Antonio. It's not, uh, it's, you know, it's not a wrap yet, so... I think Can I just say one thing finished. before before we jump off the East. Like yeah. the East was just really disappointing all season long, and it just looks it continues to disappoint. I guess is my point. It's just it's nothing near the West. I mean, we've had some really entertaining games, but you can't look at anyone in the East and really tell me Cleveland's threatened right now. I just don't – I agree, Mark, but can you really say that? I mean, obviously Trav will disagree with this because he had San Antonio beating Golden State, but I think it's the same thing in the West. I think as much as it, you know, it belabors us to say, uh, the whole season's plot line was it's going to be a Cleveland-Golden State third, third finals in three years, which is the first time it will ever happen in the NBA. And there's absolutely nothing that has started this, uh, this playoffs that has shown me it's going to be anything different on either side of the conferences. That's true, but in terms of star power, like at least you have Westbrook and Harden going at it. The Jazz are obviously an up-and-coming team, although the Gobert thing hurt. The Clippers have their stars. Um, obviously, now Blake is out, but uh, Portland's fun to watch. I just think the East, like when you look at teams like the Hawks and like you look at Toronto, they're just not that fun to watch. Yeah. I should say the same thing about Indiana, even though that's been a pretty entertaining series. Past Paul George, there's really not that much there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely won't disagree. I still would like to see Toronto get some chemistry going. I mean, they have not had Ibaka for very long. They haven't had Lowry healthy for very long. So 
obviously Milwaukee's given them all they can take, but if they can, if they can get out of this series in six, you know, if they can go home and get a win, come back to Milwaukee, get a win, just take care of business and play well. I think we could still be in, in line for a pretty good second round series, uh, you know, between Toronto and Cleveland because Toronto's fans, they just get out for the playoffs. So I think that could be entertaining. And then, like you said, I mean, the wizards look like they could be the biggest threat to Cleveland, but if Atlanta gives them a rough series, then again, it's not looking super promising, but, uh, but yeah, let's close it out with probably my favorite series so far. The the twists keep coming in the Utah Jazz, uh, LA Clippers four five series. Uh, we obviously initially found out that Rudy Gobert would be out for a while with a hyperextended knee, fourteen seconds into game one, which is a real shot to the gut for you know I know me and Trav were disheartened to hear that because we really wanted to see what this Utah team could do. But now we just find out that Blake Griffin is going to be out for the remainder of the playoffs with a broken toe. Trav, I know you have some takes on this series. Do you think Blake going out is going to give the Jazz the uh, the ability to win this series? I, I think it does. I think it, once Gobert left, he kind of saw the the series shift over the Clippers. Now that, that Griffin's out, it's kind of balanced himself back out. I still think Gobert has a bigger impact um, on this Jazz team than Griffin does. But yeah, I, I think I think it's even now, and I. I like the way I like what Gordon Hayward did last last game, even though they did lose. I think he's asserting himself on a different level. You're still getting the production out of Joe Johnson, but uh, it's just deflating to see two of the best players in the series go out. You're, you know, kind of low key going in this series, and this might be your favorite series to watch. But without two of two of the best players on the floor, it's just a little disappointing that I have to watch Chris Paul battle now as the the key scorer and I Hey, that was a fun yeah, battle to watch though, Trey. That guy balled. Yeah, he did. He played his ass off. I'll give him credit. But I just I don't want to keep talking about Chris Paul being an elite point guard anymore because he just doesn't seem to win and he's this great leader. I guess if he's this great leader, they should beat the Jazz. But I still think the Jazz are gonna are gonna grind this one out in seven and I think Gol- Gobert did just get upgraded too questionable for game four. So I think there's oh, a baby. He comes back in maybe game five, game six. And I think they take this series. All right, Mark, Mark, what do you think? I know you're pissed off that Chris Paul went out and had 35 last game. What, <laughs> uh, do, do you think that Chris Paul is going to have a proving uh, late in his career, proving series here and drive the Clippers through without Blake Griffin? Or do you think that the jazz are going to take this bad boy? Um, I, Actually, I think I favor the Clippers here with the two-one lead. I think obviously Blake is the better player than Gobert, but I think Gobert the Gobert loss was bigger for the Jazz than this will be for the Clippers. I think we've seen the, the Clippers play really well without when it, either Chris Paul or Blake isn't out, uh, when one of them is not playing. So I, with the lead, I, I still favor the Clippers. It's just like I'm tired of this story. We've this has been going on for what the last six years, the same story. And no, I don't think if Chris Paul beats an up and coming five seed Utah team without Gobert, I don't think that's a defining moment for him. Uh, he needs to get to the Western conference finals. And it, as much as I think that Blake going out doesn't really kill them in this series, as you play more talented teams and you get into the second round, I think it's going to be a huge loss. So no, I don't think this is a defining series for Chris Paul. I think I don't see him making it past the next round. Um, I think Utah is definitely not out of it, but I would lean LA for the last few games here. All right, I've got some beefs with you with you saying things here, Mark. Because 
Uh, well, I absolutely, I absolutely say that Blake Griffin is a God-gifted, freak athlete, unbelievable basketball talent. I think you saying that he's clearly better than Rudy Gobert, I take some offense to that. I mean, you know I'm the guy that puts Rudy Gobert as my DPOY. I put him on my second all-NBA team. I think Rudy Gobert is a better NBA player at this stage in his career than Blake Griffin is. So, Well, here's my issue with that. I I agree with you this season, but I think if Chris, I think we we saw how Blake Griffin plays without Chris Paul. I think when Blake has the ball and he's the focal point, he's unbelievable. And that Blake, I would take over Gobert. But yes, this year I would take Gobert. And I'll agree to that. I mean, that the series that he had against San Antonio a few years ago was pretty unbelievable. But I don't think Blake Griffin is the same player he used to be. I mean, when you compare his dunk numbers from his rookie year to his dunk numbers this year. I mean, that guy is just slowing down a little bit every year, and I hate to say it, but because he's still pretty young, but I don't think that guy's best basketball, I think, is definitely behind him. The other thing that I really, really want to see uh, with this series is, is because I want to see the Jazz win. And the reason is because I think they're building towards something where it's pretty clear that the Clippers are fading away from something. So it's like Chris Paul could play his ass off and get this series for the Clippers knowing damn well that he's going to run into the Warriors in the next series <laughs> and just get buzzsawed. And it's, it's pretty much, you know, everybody's saying the end of an era with that team. Whereas the Jazz, like, if they get past the Clippers, even if they do get buzzsawed by the Warriors, like, that's experience for a young bunch of players that could hopefully come back next year, maybe even a little bit better or less injured, and have a chance to, you know, take that learning experience and build on it. So I just feel like the trajectories of these two teams, obviously barring Gordon Hayward staying in Utah, the Jazz, it's so much more important at this point for the Jazz to make it to the second round. And I know, Trav, this was something we talked about a little bit at the beginning, but you know, a lot of people say it's big for the Clippers. I just think the Clippers, either way, they're going to dissolve their team when they lose to Golden State. I think Utah, if they lose a the first round, it might give Gordon Hayward that, that thought of, okay, we're not going to win with this group. But if they win the first round, even if they lose to the Warriors, who are you know, maybe the eventual champions, that might be enough to say, okay, we're building something here. Like, let's stick with this. Let's, let's run this back and try and get better this next year. Yeah, I think even if they can push it to seven and have a close game, I think it, it gives that team enough life to keep Gordon Hayward going and ultimately push to a bigger, to a bigger goal. But if they win, I think that really solidifies him staying there and, you know, them building around him and Gobert for their future is a pretty nice little one-two core they have going. Because I don't think Gordon Hayward's got enough respect. The guy looks like an elite player in this league, and he keeps improving every single year. So what's going to stop him from progressing next year to be an even better version of the Gordon Hayward we have now? So I think there's a lot of internal development with this Utah Jazz team, and if if, a big if, if they can stay healthy, I agree. They're working towards something bigger and greater than what the Clippers are. The only positive I could take out of the Clippers winning would to see them get absolutely kicked by the Warriors and Chris (laughs) Paul get absolutely destroyed one more time by Steph Curry before they blow that team up. But that that would be the only positive I could take away from it. Mark Wiggins his chops for that one. Well, no, I'm just – if you – let's say the Clippers win this in six. And Gobert, I don't know, let's say he, he doesn't play the next game, comes back in game five. Do you think that's a situation where 
either Gordon Hayward or the Jazz would look at this roster and say maybe we didn't have the what we thought. Because I think the Clippers still have a lot of respect around the league. And when you're out without your defensive player of the year candidate, I think even if you go down in six to this team, I think you could still hold your head up and say we're still building to something. And you look at a team like L.A., no one expects them to be. I don't think we expect Doc and Chris and Blake and everybody to be there next year. So that's another team kind of out of the way. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I agree with what you're saying, but I think sometimes the, the trajectory of a player's career in the NBA, when it's a young player, is thought of as like a little bit more of this will last forever. I mean, I remember when they were building that, that OKC team where it was Westbrook, Harden, Durant, Ibaka, and basically the league looked at that, and there was a bunch of guys that were 21 and 22, and everybody was essentially saying, okay, this is over. These guys in a few years are going to be absolutely dominating the league. Uh, and obviously we know how that shook out. It's easy to forget. I mean, obviously this is still young. It's not old for an NBA player, but Gordon Hayward is 27. I mean, that guy is just pretty much right in the heart of the prime of his career. And if he's looking at his current situation saying, I don't think we're going to win with me being the number one option on a team, and maybe I do need to be the second option to somebody a little bit better than myself, then the time to jump and go for that is now. Because if Gordon Hayward re-signs in Utah on another five-year deal, the next time that guy's going to be a free agent, he's going to be 32 years old. And I don't think any of us think a 32-year-old Gordon Hayward is going to be uh, you know, leading the team to an NBA championship. So the Bulls will. I, that's true. <laughs> they pay, pay that, man. <laughs> But, but I guess what I'm getting at is not, it's kind of an hour and everything for Gordon Hayward. It's like either I can see this Jazz team winning. Like I don't think get losing to the Clippers in six, even without your defensive player of the year, is going to be enough for Gordon Hayward to say, okay, I think we've got something I can run back here. I think he likes being in Utah, but I think he's at that point of his career where he's gotten as good as he can get. Obviously, Trev, the work that guy puts in, maybe he could come back a little bit better next year. But – yeah, again, if he sees that this isn't probably a sustainable winning situation where he can go get a title, then he might look, you know, somewhere else as an option. But uh, but I, having all that been said, especially if Rudy Gobert comes back, I've got the Jazz winning this one, boys. I've got him. I, I, I really want to see it. I think Chris Paul is going to play his ass off for the rest of the series. But if they can get Gobert back, I think the Jazz are going to win this. And I would really look forward to seeing a healthy Jazz team play against Golden State in the second round. That would be a fun series for me. So, All right, well, that covers all the first-round series. We're about halfway through the first round here. We will be returning this upcoming week as the first-round series are coming to a close, and we're moving towards the second round. So be sure to check back for our next episode, and thanks for joining us here today.